0: Greetings, and thank you for tuning into this podcast episode focused on migraine management entitled, Your Questions About Migraine Workup and Prevention Answered. Our learning objectives for this podcast are to discuss the triage and workup of patients with headache, including validated tools and guidelines that aid in diagnosing suspected migraine. Employ new migraine-specific agents for both treatment of acute attacks and prevention individualized migraine care plans to ensure that each patient's unique needs are addressed, ultimately improving symptoms and quality of life. My name is Dr. Don Buse. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Neurology at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, licensed psychologist and fellow of the American Headache Society. And today I will be joined by my colleague and friend, Dr. Michael Reddy, senior staff physician at Baylor Scott and & White and fellow of the American Headache Society. Welcome Dr. Reddy.
1: Thank you uh, Dr. Buse. It's always a pleasure to be able to visit with you and share what we have learned in taking care of uh, these patients that are just so in need of care and that just want their life back.
0: Thank you Dr. Reddy. So true. Dr. Reddy and I will be addressing questions about migraine diagnosis and treatment that were recently posed by Prime learners during our live sessions. And now let's get started. Let's start with our first question. Why would headache with exertion or Valsava be a red flag, Doctor Reddy? What can you tell us about that? The
1: the first question a headache doctor has to ask is: a headache a primary or secondary headache? And if someone starts to exert themselves or Valsava, that is a red flag. What's going on at that time is you're increasing intracranial pressure, and that may be a sign of a posterior fossa lesion or a mass or an aneurysm that is increasing pressure, and that's causing a distention of pain-sensitive structures inside the brain. And that posterior fossa mass blocks the flow of cerebral spinal fluid, stretching, distending those pain-sensitive structures. Now, most exertional headaches are benign, but they still need to be worked up. Now, sometimes patients may be reluctant to, to talk about this because you can also have an exertional headache uh, at, at time of adult intimacy, so they may not necessarily bring that up, but if someone comes in with an exertional headache or headache with balsalva, you definitely want to get an MRI of the brain to see what's going on.
0: Excellent, thank you. Our next question is, are there specific types of migraines that are contraindications for ditans or g And the answer is actually just no, Really nice. There are not contraindications for use of, of either of those medications.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: And let's move on to our next question. Can you use Atojapant, which is a brand name Kulipta, for prevention, and Remigapant, brand name Nertek, for acute attacks in the same person? Or asked another way, if a patient's already taking a G-Pant for prevention, is there any benefit to using a different g to treat acute attacks? Will it add anything? So... Let me start off and then and then Dr. Reddy, please fill in. So these two drugs, Atojapan and Remigipan, they are they're similar. Um, but currently AtoJpan is FDA approved for daily use for prevention. Ramidjapan is FDA approved for both prevention and acute attacks. Using them together has not been studied to know if it will add anything, but there's no contraindication to doing so. So Dr. Reddy, tell me about in the clinic, What do you do for thinking about managing prevention and acute attacks when it comes to GPAT use?
1: Well, again, the big thing is, is they haven't been studied, so we don't know for sure, but they're not contraindicated. A concern might come up, am I blocking CGRP too much? Well, a similar question would come up, could I use a GPAT in someone who's on a monoclonal antibody? And we've been doing this for over two years, and we haven't really seen an issue with it. So I would not see anything that tells me that this is likely to be an issue.
0: That's a great point, thank you. So our next question kind of follows along this line. If a patient's taking remigipant for prevention and has an acute migraine attack, can they use an abortive dose or should they use a different abortive medication? So either option's fine, but what it may come down to here is practicality because they may run out of remigipant in any given month. Do you want to speak to that a little bit more, Dr. Reddy?
1: Well, that is true. The, the FDA-approved indication is for migraine prevention, not chronic migraine prevention. And as such, they're limited to 16 pills a month. And so that's, that's kind of limiting for some people. Uh, the challenge now becomes with a headache in between, what do you do? And you may ask a patient, depending on how many days that they're typically having, you may try to direct their care to where, okay, I only want you to take it on a day when you're having a headache. That is another way of treating prevention. And that was one of the ways that it was done in the open label extension of Japan. Now that's an off-label way of doing it, but that could be a way of ensuring that they would have a medication to treat a headache when it came on, or trying to find another way of treating their headache because they would have an unmet treatment
0: need. And as you mentioned, other ways we can't, we shouldn't forget that there are quite a few guideline recommended acute intervention options. There are certainly the migraine-specific triptans, uh, there's lesmititan, there are uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory options, there are over-the-counter options, and then there's also non-medication options like neuromodulation so there's there's quite a few options to think about combining with a preventive, um, preventive regimen. So someone actually asked this question, are there monthly dispensing limits for GPANTS or ditans? Should primary care doctors limit how often these medications are used? And Dr. Reddy, from the, your clinic, what, what have you seen as the basic um, kind of dispensing limits for these medications?
1: Well, the dispensing limits are kind of built around how many attacks you would want to be treating in a month. And so you'll see with the Ubrojapant at 16 to allow for eight attacks, allowing you to repeat a dose. But very often patients may not need to repeat a dose, so they could technically treat upwards of 16 attacks a month with Ubrojapant. The Remagipant has been limited for a lot of insurance companies to eight pills a month for acute treatment. But some insurance companies have started to loosen that up a little bit to, believe it or not, allow 16 tablets for acute treatment of migraine. Now, the lesmitidan will also allow eight tablets a month for four attacks, allowing for that repeat dosing. Um, There is this potential with lesmitidan for medication overuse headache. It hasn't really been studied. Uh, to where patients would have unlimited access. And because it is so new, I I, I don't think that it's going to be out there to where patients are going to be uh, having enough access to cause that. But the limits are are basically driven around insurance uh, because we don't have any evidence that shows that the the G-PANs cause medication overuse headaches and actually the clinical trials speak to the opposite.
0: That's a great point. That's a great point, thank you. So switching tracks a little bit. Someone asked, are there any tips on getting a patient to be compliant with keeping a headache diary? This is a great question. Um, So Dr. Reddy, you and I got to chat a little bit preparing for this, this podcast. And one thing you said is the provider needs to make sure that they say it's valuable and that they follow up. So if we assign homework to a patient, We need to look at it when they come in so that they know we're actually using it. Um, What other ideas do you have about how to most effectively use a headache diary in migraine management?
1: Well, in getting someone to move forward and and, uh, keep track of their headaches in a diary, uh, I, I love that little quip that says, if you measure it, you can manage it. And that's what your diary is doing. You are measuring your headache frequency, intensity, and response to therapy. And those are entirely things that you need to know. You need to be able to recognize a pattern. Are the headaches coming in isolation? Are they coming on certain days? Are they bunching together? What kind of response are you having to your acute treatment therapies? Because these can identify needs because you want to minimize the amount of time that that nervous system is perturbed. Uh, Because the longer an attack goes on, the easier it is to start the next attack. So we can utilize the diary as a tool for reducing migraine burden. And so we need to look at it and bring the patient in and start to ask them questions. Gosh, I remember asking one patient, you seem to be having more headaches on Saturday what's happening on Saturday or what's happening on Friday? And then he goes, oh, my mother comes over and visits every Friday. So
0: <laughs> That's right. You can find those patterns. Um, I love that. I love that. So the patient can kind of start to become their own detective as well. Yeah. And some people really love diaries. You know, there are so many options today between smart Phones and smart watches, and there's a good old paper pencil. And in fact, some of our, one of our participants at one of the meetings asked the next question, is there a migraine tracking app that you could recommend? Well, um, and in fact, there are many apps depending on which type of, if you're talking a smartphone, which type of device you have. If you look in the iTunes store, there are quite a few. The Android store, there are quite a few. Um, if you're looking for something like that, something that someone will use is really, is really key. And um, they might just want to look for higher ratings and figure out what, what looks interesting to them. But it can also really just be pen and paper on a old fashioned calendar or any kind of calendar they create. If they want to keep it real simple, they can take a calendar and write a little circle on the top of each day. They leave it clear. If they didn't have any attack or any disability, they filled in halfway. If it was, you know, uh, low-level intensity or symptomatology. Fill it in all the way if it was really a bad day. It's kind of a modified stoplight from green, yellow, red. It's a very quick way to look at your month. All the way to some of the really interesting apps that have all sorts of features and some of those that are patients like. Migraine Buddy is a popular one. N1 Headache was designed for identifying triggers um, and those are some that I know our patients tend to tend to come to us using and, and seem to have good experience with. What are your thoughts, Dr. Reddy?
1: Well, I, the, they mirror yours. On a, on a pencil and paper or pen and paper diary, I'm looking for uh, day, uh, intensity, and I'll typically do a one, two, three, mild, moderate, severe, because I'm more interested in disability level, what you did for it and what kind of relief you got, because that gives me thumbs sh- You know, thumbnail, basic information, and not overly taxing. And for a lot of the people who do like the the smartphones, I do like the migraine buddies. And uh, for people whose pattern is hard to tease out, because I I don't accept that there's not a pattern. I I just say we haven't got enough data points to recognize the pattern. And that's when uh, a diary like the N1 for N number in a set, and the patient is an N of one. That one is particularly good for that.
0: Yeah, thank you. So back to thinking about preventive migraine treatments, a participant asked, what are your thoughts on combining preventative migraine treatments? And in fact, there are no limitations or contraindications um, in the American Headache Society Consensus Guideline Document, which came out uh, just recently in 2021. We like to think about prevention in, in quite a few buckets of types of treatment. Of course, we have the pharmacologic treatments, the CGRP targeted MABs, the G PANTS, um, or as you call them, Dr. Reddy, the CGRP blockers for kind of combining both classes. We've got onobotulinum toxin A for chronic migraine prevention. Um, we've got the traditional orals, which work for a lot of people. And then we've also got in the non pharma space um, things like behavioral therapies, biofeedback, CBT, lifestyle modifications, relaxation therapies, as well as neurostimulation. And in fact, there are some very well done uh, studies, systematic reviews, meta-analysis showing that combining and pulling from one bucket and another bucket, you actually can get better outcomes than single therapies alone. So really, it kind of comes down to tailoring the needs for each individual patient. What are your thoughts about this, Dr. Reddy?
1: Well, absolutely. When, how many conditions are out there that you will limit yourself to one intervention if a patient is not having a sufficient response? We will use many interventions for a patient with diabetes, with coronary artery disease, um, uh, with epilepsy. And you want to push the disability down because you want to have that individual engaged and you want to have that nervous system at a baseline. And the big point on prevention, I think, is also trying to understand what is making the patient vulnerable for an attack. As, as we've you know mentioned before, there are seven known risk factors for migraine progression, headache frequency, not being able to shut off a headache when you have one, obesity, unmanaged stress, non-restorative sleep, too much acute medicine and caffeine. Does a patient have one of those? Well, that's where I need to concentrate. And you can have pharmacological and non-pharmacological interventions around that because I may be having them on the CGRP blockers, but if they have untreated sleep apnea, I may not budge their headaches much.
0: That's a good point. And then one thing, of course, to think about is you're adding or creating kind of a combined multimodal approach. It's good to add one at a time and give it a fair trial. So we know if that particular therapy was helpful or not. We can also see if there are any side effects that come from it, see if we need to increase or decrease dose or frequency. So just so we kind of can really monitor how the individual components are working for a particular patient.
1: And this hasn't been as true with the uh, the CGRP blockers because in general, those are pretty well tolerated. But for a lot of our other preventive pharmacological and, uh, interventions, I think it is important to start at a low dose and go slow, because if we remember why people have migraine, that sensitive brain that's poorly tolerant of change, uh, what are new drugs, changes, and very often people with migraine can't necessarily tolerate a normal starting dose of a medication, so you may need to start at a low dose and go up slowly to, to improve tolerability.
0: Thank you. So on the opposite end of this question, one of our participants asked, when do you consider stopping preventive medications or is it lifelong therapy? Dr. Reddy, how do you answer that?
1: You know, I typically like at least nine or or 12 months of stability where I would like them to be at for migraine frequency. And then we start to pull off and, and the reason For this, it gets back to what makes you vulnerable for attacks. And I think what makes an individual most vulnerable for attacks is headache frequency because that ties into what the brain's designed to do, and that's learn. And the brain will learn how to make pain. So the brain will invest infrastructure in the learning. But when you shut down the number of attacks, the brain goes, "Okay, we don't need to put resources there to maintain that infrastructure. And so as the attacks space out, the brain kind of forgets how to make it. So when you've hit this about 9 to 12 months of, gosh, I'm, I'm down to about 3 or 4 attacks a month, maybe 6, I take my acute medicine, headaches has gone 2 to 3 hours, I'm back to functioning, okay, let's just start uh, going off your meds slowly. And, you know, I'll tend to also keep people on supplements like the magnesium and the CoQ10 just cause I go, those are pretty benign, good evidence for effectiveness. And uh, it's getting us a little, you know, oral preventives in there also.
0: Well, thank you for saying that because our next question from a participant is, is there a role for supplements in migraine prevention? So I'm gonna let you keep going. You're on a roll there talking about supplements.
1: No, absolutely. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in magnesium. And lately I've, I've been recommending um, magnesium threonate, magnesium uh, glycinate or biglycinate because those are chelated forms, typically better absorbed. And there is a a high degree of of patient satisfaction with them because, oh, I'm not taking a drug. And I have found them to be overwhelmingly tolerated. Um, I'm also a real big fan of coenzyme Q10. Um, I typically will recommend 200 milligrams twice a day. Melatonin between three and five milligrams has also been shown to be as effective as 25 milligrams of amitriptyline, uh, but I also recommend that people use melatonin in patients who are on beta blockers, because we'll often put beta blockers on for our migraine prevention, but a lot of physicians don't realize that the beta blockers suppress endogenous melatonin secretion, so we may be creating a little bit of a sleep issue there, and um, so I'm I'm a absolutely love. Um, supplements. And the one that I've kind of steered away from lately is is the butterbur because there have been some questions as to whether or not the pyrene alkaloid removal process that needs to take place to avoid the liver toxicity is actually standardized sufficiently to say, yes, this is an okay supplement to use for migraine prevention.
0: Thank you. That is really helpful and interesting. And like you said, Uh, It may be a really nice start for quite a few patients who like the idea of something um, that feels natural to them. So, again, also can be combined with all sorts of other preventive and acute approaches. So, thank you. So, let me give us a quick summary of all the things we've talked about today. Headaches triggered by Valsava, cough or sneeze require evaluation to ensure that there's no serious intracranial pathology. Headaches triggered by exertion are often primary exertional headaches, but it is necessary to make sure that there is not an underlying mass or aneurysm as exertion increases intracranial pressure. Patients taking a GPANT for migraine prevention, a Tojapant, or remigepant, have the same options to treat migraine attacks as individuals taking a traditional oral preventive medication or a CGRP receptor agonist. These options include triptans, ergots, neuromodulation devices, lasminitan, and GPANTS that treat migraine attacks. That includes Ebrogipant and Remigapant. Clinicians should stress the value of headache diaries. Ask about them at follow-up visits and examine any patterns that diaries reveal. Patients should be encouraged to use whatever form of headache diary they're most likely to keep and most comfortable using, whether it's an app or pen and paper. Preventive treatments can be combined to improve efficacy and preventive migraine medications may be slowly tapered off if a patient has been stable for 9 to 12 months, but beware of stopping them too quickly. Magnesium, riboflavin, and coenzyme Q10, as well as melatonin, are supplements with demonstrated benefit in migraine prevention. And
1: that's all the time we have for today. Dr. Buse, thank you for joining me to answer some common questions that our learners have asked. And to obtain your CME credit, please visit primemed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode descriptions where there is a direct link to the activity page on primemed.com for claiming your CME credit.